Good morning, friends. As Carl said, my name is, is Rob Hardys, and I just want to, you know, begin before I share my message this morning by saying what a pleasure it is to be with you all this morning. The spirit of <clears throat> warmth and, and energy and love in this place on this occasion is really palpable, and I'm just really happy to be here with you all. You know, uh, I'll just say a word about <clears throat> this anniversary because I met Carl um, right when he arrived here in Frederick 10 years ago. And for the entirety of his ministry with you all, he and I and a small group of colleagues have met monthly for collegial support. So I've had a kind of window on to the ministry that you shared over these last 10 years. And I, and I know how your ministry together has grown and thrived during this time. And so before I go any further, I just want to say to you on behalf of the larger community of Unitarian Universalists, thank you. Thank you for your ministry. It makes a difference. This congregation makes a difference. And I also want to say congratulations. Congratulations to you, Carl, and congratulations to all of you on 10 years of fruitful and faithful ministry. Amen, and may you enjoy many more. Now, my message this morning is a message about how we sustain our ministries over the long haul is something you all know a thing or two about, or we wouldn't be celebrating this anniversary today. It's about, the message is about how we remain emotionally and spiritually resilient day in and day out as we go about the work of caring for one another and our world, and as we engage in the seemingly, well, the seemingly never-ending struggles for justice and for freedom. And I've taken as my text this morning a brief but famous story from the Bible, from the book of Exodus. Exodus, as you may know, is one of the world's great freedom stories. The story of a leader, Moses, and his people, the Israelites, and their long journey to freedom from slavery under the hand of the Egyptian pharaoh. Now, I know we UUs have different takes on the Bible. But this morning, I just want to invite you to allow yourself to, to kind of enter into and inhabit the world of this story for, for a time. Because I think that'll allow us to get the most out of my message this morning. So let me begin with, begin with this brief reading then from the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. This is the story of Moses and the burning bush. Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. He led the flock beyond the wilderness and came to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of a bush. Moses looked and the bush was ablaze, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, 
I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses. And Moses replied, here I am. And God said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you were standing is holy ground. Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. But the Lord said to him, I have observed the misery of my people. I've heard their cry. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and lead my people out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. Here ends our reading. So I'm going to invite you to, for a moment, put yourself in Moses' shoes. There he is, tending the flock of his father-in-law, out in, the, out in the desert, counting sheep. No doubt his thoughts drift and wander off, much like the animals under his care. Then suddenly something captures his attention, right? A flash of light, uh, the crackle and smell of dry brush burning. Moses turns and sees a bush on fire. And he thinks, hmm, that's strange. But the longer he looks, the stranger the sight becomes because you see the bush is on fire, but it doesn't seem to be burning up. It isn't destroyed by the fire. It just keeps burning and burning, giving off light, giving off warmth. It was ablaze, says scripture, but it was not consumed. And this intrigues Moses, so he goes in for a closer look. And the rest, as they say, is history. From that burning bush, God speaks to Moses and commissions him, charges him to to lead his people out of Egypt and into the promised land, the land of milk and honey, the place where they'll be free. Now, by the time this great epic liberation story concludes, many, many pages later, many, many years later, in fact, the burning bush is almost an afterthought, a footnote to the story. But I've always wondered something. I've always wondered, was the burning bush just God's ploy to get Moses' attention so he could speak to him? Or is there something more going on here? Could it be that God intended that burning bush to be a kind of object lesson? An example for Moses and his people as they made their long, arduous journey toward freedom. After all, God God knew what Moses and his people were up against. First, they needed to escape from the cruel and capricious Pharaoh. But that was just the start. 
Because before they could reach the promised land, they they had to wander through the desert, the Sinai desert, for, for 40 years. And during that time, some of the people would lose heart, right? They'd turn on one another. Sometimes they were unfaithful to their covenants with one another and and with God. And God saw all that coming. And God knew the long struggle that lay before them. So I wonder if the burning bush, this bush that burns warm and bright but is not consumed, I wonder if it isn't God's way of saying to Moses and his people, look, friends, you face a difficult journey in a very difficult time. Much will be required of you during this time. The fire of commitment, the warmth of love, the light of wisdom and reason. These will get you through. So you must burn, my friends, and burn brightly. But don't forget that we're in this for the long haul. So burn bright and burn steady, but don't burn out. Don't let the fire devour you. It was ablaze, the bush, but not consumed. And friends, this strikes me as sound advice for us too, doesn't it? Like Moses and his people, we face a difficult journey in a difficult time. We confront threats and injustices that were a long time in the making and that will not be overcome easily or soon. I mean, 50 years after Roe v. Wade, our struggle for women's reproductive justice is just now entering a new and urgent phase. Decades after Jim Crow, we find ourselves once again struggling to protect a person's right to vote. Nearly 250 years after our nation's founding, our democracy is at risk like perhaps never before. And life on earth itself faces an existential threat from climate change. So friends, we've got our work cut out for us. It won't be easy. Amen is right. It won't be easy and it won't be over anytime soon. And it seems to me that we could learn a lesson or two right now from that burning bush. So much is required of us in this moment the fire of commitment, the warmth of love, the bright light of reason and wisdom. We must burn brightly, friends, but we got to burn steady because we need to sustain this fire for a long haul. We must be ablaze, but not consumed. Now, what are the things that threaten to consume us? Well, I'll tell you, despair for one. I got to tell you, these last two weeks, with their constant stream of mass shootings, 
the faces of those fourth graders in, in Uvalde. Next day, I had to take my fourth grade son and drop him off at school, and I never wanted to let him go. The sense that our society, our government, is incapable of doing, it, doing anything about it, it's enough to lead one to despair. Another thing that can consume us is, is our anger and bitterness, right? Sometimes. Sometimes our outrage at the world's injustices can kind of eat at us like a, like a cancer. Sometimes our shouts of no drown out the yes that is in our hearts. We can be consumed by apathy or by petty infighting. Lord knows, by overwork and exhaustion, before long, we're not on fire anymore. We're burnt out. That is real. <laughs> How many of you have found yourselves in the last, oh, five, six years or so burnt out at one time or another, right? I think we've all been there at some time. Now, you know, if the burning bush provides us with with one object lesson in sustaining over time the fire of commitment, <laughs> I'm thinking about another mythical member of the plant kingdom that maybe serves as a cautionary tale. How many of you remember reading a book as a child or reading the book to your children, The Giving Tree, right, by Shel Silverstein? Remember that book? It's a, it's a perennial bestseller, and I still have my copy from when I was a kid. I took it out the other day um, and reread it because I was thinking about reading it to, to my son. For those of you who don't know or remember the story, The Giving Tree is a story about a selfless tree who befriends a child and, and who gives and gives and tears up its roots and chops off its limbs all out of sacrificial love for his friend. And, and by the end of the book, the tree is a mere stump. A dead, sainted stump. I mean, what were we thinking reading these books to our, this book to our kids? <laughs> right? Was the giving tree supposed to be a model for us of, of a life of self-sacrificial love and service? Was the message that in order to serve others, you had to end up spiritually uprooted and chopped from limb to limb? Friends, I have an idea. Let's be the burning bush and not the giving tree, okay? Can we all agree on that? <laughs> Let's be ablaze but not consumed. How do we do that? How do we keep our souls supple and resilient on the long road to freedom and justice? How do we sustain that fire for the long haul? What is the fuel that burns steady and bright? You know, over, over 20 or so years of ministry, I keep a running list of the habits and practices that I've noticed Sustain folks in their commitment to the good. Things that keep them going when the going gets tough. You know, and this is just a little piece of my list. I bet you've got a list too. And maybe after service you can share your list with someone else in the congregation. But I'm going to share you just a few of mine. 
Number one on my list of fuels that burn slow and steady is love. I think we've got to focus more on what we're struggling for and less on what we're fighting against. I fall into that trap all the time. In our struggles for good, yes and no are both powerful words. Both have their place. But our yes will sustain us far longer than our no, is my experience. Because our yes reminds us that all our struggles have their origin in our love and care for someone or something. Why do we want to save our planet? Because we love and delight in life on earth. Right? Not because we're angry at fossil fuel companies. Why do we want smart gun control laws in our our nation? Because we love our kids. We want to see them safe at their schools. That's not because we want to pick a fight with the NRA. But it's easy to get it backwards, isn't it? Because anger burns bright and hot. But it can also flame out real quick. Love, on the other hand, is the fuel that burns slow and bright and steady. To stay in the struggle, remain connected to the love that brought you there in the first place. Number two, it's a short list. Number two, cultivate a daily spiritual practice that keeps you connected to that love. A practice that will feed your soul through good times and bad. Do it every day and then come to church on Sunday for your spiritual booster shot. (laughs) Okay? That's number two. Number three. Remember that you don't have to do it all by yourself. Thank God. In fact, you can't do it all by yourself. We need companions for the journey. We need communities like the church. You know, my fundamental argument for the church is this. The world is too broken to save with just one set of hands. And it's too beautiful to praise with just one voice. That's why we need one another. That's why we need the church. That's why we need the choir. Right? Too, be- too broken to, to say with just one set of hands. Too beautiful to praise with just one voice. We come together in church to both savor and save the world. Number four, having joined with one another in the struggle for the good, we must practice forgiveness with ourselves and with one another. You know, too often I look around and see our progressive movements for justice turn into circular firing squads. We're going to stumble on the long road to freedom. We're going to trip over our shortcomings and the limits of our knowledge and experience. We're going to take a wrong path and we're going to have to double back again. 
rather than fall into petty quarrels and infighting, we've got to be gentle with ourselves and practice forgiveness. And fifth and finally, because the road is long and the struggle can be difficult, because we are making this journey with good friends and companions, the final item on my list is to do precisely what you all are doing this weekend. We need to take time along the way to celebrate what we've accomplished together and simply have fun with one another, right? To find joy together. You know, the activist Emma Goldman famously said, I don't want to be part of your revolution if I can't dance, (laughs) right? And sometimes I want to say, I don't want to be part of your congregation if I can't dance. So just like at your party, did you dance last night at the party? Did you? (laughs) I know there was some singing at least. Sometimes we have to go skipping and dancing with one another into the promised land. So keep doing what you're doing this weekend, friends, celebrating your accomplishments along the way, giving thanks for one another. So love, daily practice, companionship, forgiveness, and joy, it's all fuel for the fire. And friends, I want to close by saying that, you know, Moses, Moses got a really dramatic burning bush to, to draw his attention to the fact that he must be ablaze but not consumed. You know, and, and these days we have to settle for a more modest pyrotechnic display. But each Sunday, <laughs> we kindle our flaming chalice the symbol of our faith, a reminder that there is indeed a sacred flame that burns inside each and every one of us. It's the fire of commitment. It's the warmth of our love. It's the light of our wisdom and reason. Let's nurture and honor the fire that burns within us. May it burn bright. May it burn steady. May we be ablaze, but not consumed. Amen.